Good morning, Redemption. Hi, good to see you all. My name's Alex. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. Uh, my family and I, uh, we've been praying about joining Redemption Church for a, a long time. In fact, uh, Pastors Drew and I and, and, and Ryan, we, we met up uh, years ago talking about the possibility of planting. And uh, lo and behold, they actually were crazy enough to go and do it uh, and then said, so, so we're planting the church. You should seriously come down. So through years of rebellion and stubbornness, I've made my way back to Seattle to serve you wonderful people in our great cities here. So we're really, really stoked about it. Um, I'll show you a picture of my family, wife, Jana. We've been married 12 years. She is awesome. Um, Tova, our daughter, is six. Jude, our son, uh, he'll turn five in a couple days. Uh, Tova is way into skunks. Um, that's her favorite animal. And Jude is into Ninja Turtles. So that's that's it. That's all. That's 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 our whole family. Uh, and Jana's into photography, and I eat a lot. All right. So that's it. That's our family, and we're going to be going through the resurrection today. So I get to pick up where uh, Drew left off last week, as you guys have been taking uh, the last I don't know 15 or 16 months through the Gospel of John. We now I get the softball sermon lobbed to me. Like I show up, and they've been preaching like through the betrayal of Judas and like the really hard stuff. And they're like, and then Jesus is up from the dead. Here you go, Alex, you get this one. I'm like, cool, I'll take it. I'll take that one. So I'm, I'm stoked to get to preach on the resurrection of Jesus and really the mission of the church. And so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just kind of read and, and comment slash preach as we go. So uh, that's it. So John chapter 20, we're going to do verses 1 to 18. And uh, here's what it says. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Okay, first day of the week. So we're talking, we're talking Sunday. First day, Mary Magdalene. This is a lady that uh, in Luke's gospel, uh, it leads us to believe that it might be a woman that was involved in the realm of prostitution. Uh, and has met Jesus, has been saved by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus, cleansed by Jesus. She's also the woman that, uh, some think that also she's the one that has uh, been possessed by demons and had those demons driven out of her. This gives you some of the background of the kind of people that Jesus found himself around and actually working for their good, namely their redemption as human beings being reconciled to God. And not just in theory, but in reality. This woman met Jesus, knew Jesus, loved Jesus. She was actually present at the crucifixion of Jesus. And now here she is, early Sunday morning, going to uh, honor where Jesus has been buried. So this is where she's going to mourn or make peace with the, with the fact that Jesus has now been put to death. And so it's early Sunday morning. This is why Christians have always, always worshipped on, on Sunday morning. This is, this is where this tradition comes from, is that we get up and we honor Jesus, and not just us here in Green Lake, and not just the other thousands of churches scattered around Seattle and Washington, the United States, but globally, all over the, all over the globe for 2,000 years, Christians have been honoring Sunday as the day of the Lord, the day that Jesus conquered death and sin and the grave. And so that's why we get together, that we don't come here for a weekend hobby for religious bored people. 
We come here because we've met Jesus, we love Jesus, we serve Jesus, and we're gathered as Jesus's people. That it's not just coming to hear a talking head or just be a part of a local thing, but rather as Christians, we understand ourselves to be members of the family of God, with Jesus as our older brother, God as our great Abba Father, and the Holy Spirit as our comforter who has bound us together And so that's why we're here. So this is why we see Sunday morning, she's there honoring Jesus. While it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. And real quick, just so you know, this is how John, as he writes his gospel, this is John, he says it four or five times in the gospel of John. When he mentions himself, he always speaks about himself as the guy that Jesus loved, which is a pretty amazing way to identify yourself. In fact, that's his nudge toward future followers of Jesus. When you talk about your identity, this is how you talk about yourself. I'm not just, I, 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 I'm not my employment. I'm not who I'm married to. I'm not just who I might be a, a, a parent of or what. Like, I am, first and foremost, loved by Jesus. John constantly refers to himself as, I'm the guy that Jesus loves. Jesus loves me. Church, you know how important that is for you to hear this morning again? is that Jesus doesn't resent you or regret you, but he loves you. He's delighted in you. You're the apple of his eye. That's what the gospel tells us, that God actually delights in his children. John got that reality through spending a lot of time with Jesus and then began to talk about himself as the guy that Jesus loved. How amazing would it be to see Christians throughout our city thinking of ourselves in these terms and these categories going, I am not my past. I'm not what's been done to me. I'm not what I have done. I'm, I'm one of those that Jesus loves. It's awesome. So that's how John talks about himself. She goes to find Simon Peter and John, and Mary says, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they laid him. So she thinks, we don't know who the they are, but somebody has taken the body of Jesus. Grave robbers, maybe the Romans that have done, maybe maybe they took his body and put him somewhere else so that the followers of Jesus can't go and uh, mourn at his grave. We don't know, but somebody, his body is missing. Now look, listen, she wasn't expecting a resurrection. Like we can like read this and be like, Mary, duh, didn't you read the next page? (laughs) (laughs) We have this thing, you know, we have a little advantage having all of the gospel 2,000 years later. She wasn't suspecting a resurrection, or expecting a resurrection. She's going, somebody actually took the body. You know why she didn't expect a resurrected Jesus? Because people don't resurrect from the dead. Like, even if Jesus predicts his resurrection, as he did three times in all four Gospels, you see that Jesus saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise, in accordance with the Scriptures, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And it's just going over everybody's heads going, I don't totally get that, because I've been to funerals. So, so there's that. So we don't know where they've laid him. Verse three, so Peter went out with the other disciple 
and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, which is kind of, there's the other disciple. So not only is he the guy that Jesus loves, he's also a little faster than Peter, which is funny that that gets put into Holy Scripture for the church for all of time. I'm faster than Peter. Like, that's just, because John always strikes you as the super humble guy that just like, right? He's St. John. He's the old guy, right? He's like, he's awesome. And then... A.D. 90, by the way, is when this was written. So John's still old when he's writing. He's like, oh, yeah, I still smoked him. Like, <laughs> which is it's just kind of funny. Like, the Bible has little things in there. that, Anyway, he was first. So he beat Peter to the tomb. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. So John shows up. Tomb is open, and John looks in doesn't go inside of Jesus's tomb. <laughs> then Peter caught up, which I always kind of picture Peter as just kind of maybe stop for a cigarette, kind of halfway through the run. Peter came, I mean, it's Peter. It, okay, anyway, so Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. Now, now here's what's interesting. It says John shows up, he saw the linen cloths, and then when, and, and this was written in, uh, originally in uh, Koine Greek. And so John does something interesting with the word saw here twice. So John saw the, the, the claws lying there. And then he changes the word when Peter saw. It's a word called theoreo. It's where we get our word theory or to theory. So Peter shows up and he starts looking into the tomb, but he doesn't just see claws lying there. It's, it, it's John's signal in the, in the text here to say, Peter starts thinking. Peter starts putting things together. Peter starts going, oh my gosh, Jesus isn't in his tomb. And so Peter starts putting some of the pieces together, going, oh my gosh, yeah, there, Jesus did talk about this resurrection thing. He's, th- he's thinking about it. So Peter sees the clause line there. And by the way, this is pretty amazing that we have the Apostle Peter here in the Bible actually thinking. Did you know the Christian faith is not a angry, cranky, fundamentalistic, just, just close your mouth and believe it. Don't think about it. Just believe it. It's resurrection from the dead. Just get on with it and move. Like You're actually allowed to ask questions, theorize, think a bit. That the Bible actually welcomes thinking people to it, to ask a few questions. And by the way, if you don't ask a few questions like, hey, God spoke the universe into, oh, before that, God exists, uh, spoke the universe into being, there's a talking snake that ruined everything, uh, prophets prophesy for thousands of years, Jesus the Messiah shows up, dies on a Roman cross, resurrects from the dead, ascends to the right hand of the Father, sends the Holy Spirit into the church, writes the Bible, and is preparing a place for you in heaven. If I tell you that message and you don't go, I I need to think about one or two things you just said right there. We're not really connecting because I just said, everything I just said is insane. That is insane. In fact, that's why Paul tells you over in 1 Corinthians that the message of the gospel is foolishness. 
It doesn't sound that foolish. Tell somebody at work tomorrow what I just said, and they will call you an F word. Fool. We'll be okay. All right, so he sees him resurrected, or sees this, and starts theorizing that Jesus is resurrected. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first, so he reminds us again, I was there first, so two times in the text, also went in, and he saw, and look what John says, speaking about himself, he saw and he believed. That is about a hundred times, listen, redemption, about 100 times in the gospel of John, the word belief shows up. Over and over and over again, John has a major agenda, and it's not just to kind of discuss a few things about Jesus or give a few ideas about Jesus. John is, is we, we call them the four evangelists. He is evangelizing. He wants people to believe in Jesus, not believe just a thing or two about Jesus that he existed historically, but rather I, I want you to place your faith in Jesus. John in that moment goes into the tomb and goes, and that's the moment I believed. That's the moment I believed. So over and over again, throughout the gospel of John, he's trying to get people to go, it's about believing, it's about faith, it's about believing, it's about faith, it's about believing in Jesus. John goes, that's the day. The day I walked into his tomb where he was empty, where it was empty, and I looked at the claws lying there, and I went, I'm in. I believe. I believe. When John... John, at this point in his life, most guess that he's somewhere between the ages of 16 and 20 years old. Young man. John writes this in AD 90. And John is reflecting on the day that he believed the gospel. Redemption, when was... Like, can you go back in time in your mind and remember the day you met Jesus? Do you remember that? Where were you? Who were you? What were you putting in your heart that you thought was satisfied, were trying to satisfy, but then Jesus showed up? Do you remember the day you met him? Go back to that place often and remember, remember your salvation. Martin Luther said it this way, every time you wash your face, remember your baptism, (laughs) which is awesome for those of us that wash our faces. (laughs) Remember your baptism. Remember the day you believe, the day you met Jesus. John remembers it here. He saw and he believed. For as yet, he didn't understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So there, John believes, but everybody, everybody who understood this whole thing that the Bible had been talking about the resurrection of Jesus for quite some time. And, and just so you know, if you read the Old Testament, this first half, it's very big and complicated. Um, when you read it, the resurrection is prophesied in there, but it's not, it doesn't, for, for, at least for me, and I think a lot of us, it doesn't just leap off the pages. 
That is, if you just sat down and read Genesis to Malachi, cover to cover, would you have concluded the Son of God is going to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, but grow up in Nazareth uh, and, and crucify and resurrect? and all, Like, well, no, not, not entirely. I, I didn't see it that way. But then later, you go, oh, I see it. It's there. I see it now. So they were in that place. So they go back to their homes. But Mary stood outside, stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And I do love this about how it shows that the Bible has, these are real people with real emotions. This is not an impersonal cold, disconnected faith. But she's, this is real. That your Christian faith involves real tears. You know why? Because the world is made of real tears. She's, she's connected here. Going, the one I, the one that forgave me, he was murdered. And now his body's missing. I mean, she's just completely gutted over this. And she saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. Now, this is interesting. Angels. Like, angels don't show up in the Gospel of John except for right here. This is the only place. In Matthew and Luke, you'll see them at the, the virgin birth. But John doesn't mention angels until here. And here's what's interesting. In our culture today, we're super fascinated with angels. Like if you go, um, I went this morning actually on, um, you know, Powell's books down in Portland. Um, It's one of the greatest places in the world. Um, It is a wonder of the world because you could get lost there forever. Anyway, but at Powell's, if you go on their website and type in angels and, and, and look for how many books there are, it just goes for hundreds and hundreds of pages with books dedicated to angels. The cheapest book was written by a guy named Dan Brown, and it was for 50 cents. And then this other one that I couldn't even read the title of was selling for $275. Book on angels. And we do have a fascination with angels. Movies, television shows, things like this. Angels are the good guys that show up and help out the good guys that need a little bit of help from time to time. We have a fascination with angels. But when you get to angels in the Bible, all you get is one detail. They're wearing white. Like, that's it. Like, you saw angels and you didn't give me any more details. An actual angel. No details, just wearing white. Why no details? Here's why. The Bible continually, when it talks about angels, it is not concerned with the glory or the detail or the power of a messenger. It's about the message. It's always about the message. It is never about the messenger. Ever. Be it angel or human. It's always about the message. That's why there's no details here, really, about the angels. So, this is pretty great. So, they're sitting there, which is really kind of a funny thing, just hanging out in the tomb, just waiting on somebody to show up, I guess. So, They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she's going to get asked this question twice. Why are you weeping? She said to them, well, they've taken away my Lord, 
and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, here it is again, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? You see, it's, it's almost a mild, it's a mild rebuke of Jesus going, why are you weeping? What, what's the mild rebuke? Because the next question is, who are you seeking? The question is, what kind of Messiah is a dead Messiah? Remember, I'm the one that was going to resurrect from the Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? Yeah. <laughs> Supposing him to be the gardener. She's like, this must be the gardener. She's... <laughs> She said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's here that when Jesus spoke her name, that she knew it was him. Now, we are in church and we do and say spiritual things here, but not just disconnected, loosely spiritual things. We're talking about the Christian gospel. Jesus speaks her name, and when he says her name, she knew it was him. This is John's way of getting across to us that Jesus actually has communion with his people. And when he says your name, when your creator speaks to the soul that he created, you come alive. It was that moment she knew this isn't the gardener. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. As Christians, we understand it this way. My sheep know my voice. As Christians, we know his voice. As Christians, we believe that our God speaks to us, that he communicates with us, that he communes with us, and that he actually knows and says your name. Do you know your name is on the lips of God today? And it's not followed by a cuss word. It's followed by Love. So he speaks her name. She's like, teacher, you're here. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, (laughs) for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and say I'm ascending to my father and your father and my God and your God. Look, he says, don't cling to me. Like, don't don't grab onto me. So apparently she's like, she's like, you're here. Bear hug. Like, yeah, this is amazing. And Jesus says, no, you can't do that. And that's weird because we have uh, elsewhere, in, in, like over in 1 John, you can read about where it's very important that the eyewitnesses of Jesus physically touch the resurrected body of Jesus and check him out. They have uh, breakfast with him over in John chapter 21. They eat fish on the beach. And they're, like several times you see the physical Jesus resurrected. But here he says, Mary, you, you don't cling to me. Thomas, remember, he says, Thomas, check out my wounds, and right? Why, won't, why doesn't he allow Mary to cling to him? Here's why. 
it gives it away in the very same verse. But go to my brothers. Meaning this. Don't just cling to me. Go. The point is to go. Like, yes, I'm up. Yes, I've conquered sin. I've conquered the grave. I've conquered your shame. I've, I've defeated it all. I'm, I am the victor. I am the Lord. I, yes. Go. Go. And look at what he even says about the disciples. Look what he calls them. Go tell my brothers. These are the dudes that bailed on Jesus. These are the guys that were not there, that would not stand by Jesus or stand for Jesus, but were rather hiding in a room. He tells this woman, go, tell them. And what does he call them? My brothers. Not those failures, not those cowards, not those screw-ups, not those guys that didn't understand the Bible verses about my resurrection, not those guys. Go tell my brothers a familial, warm, loving, accepting term. Go tell my family. Go tell my family. Tell my brothers. Christian, one way that we relate to Jesus is that he is our older brother. And if you want to read more about it, you can read about it over in the book of Hebrews where it speaks about Jesus being our great big brother who ran the bully off the block. That's our Jesus. Go tell my brothers. Redemption, when we look at this verse here and we see go, listen, it is good to be here and to be worshiping in the house of God, worshiping Studying our Bibles, praying to Jesus, singing to Jesus, worshiping Jesus. Yes and amen. But there actually is a mandate to go. That is, if you read the end of Matthew's gospel, you know the Great Commission? Where it says, go into all the world, make disciples. That is not a tacked on, bolted on idea to keep Christians busy until Jesus decides to come back. Like, I don't know, go make disciples, do something like that. This was not just a happenstance. No, this is mission. This is what we do. We want to see more people. If Jesus is this great, then more people need to know this Jesus. So go. So this is why we've we have redemption churches planted. This is why we live in community. This is why we actually want to introduce those who don't know Jesus to Jesus. Not just come to church gathering, not just come to Bible study, come to me, Jesus says. And so our job, what we are focused on and driven toward and passionate about is bringing as many people as possible to this Savior who gives grace upon grace. All right. And then it says this. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Listen. Mary, just so you know, in the first century context, as is quite common in the Middle East today, and not just in the Middle East, where women are bought, sold, and treated as less than. Here, the first witness to the resurrected Jesus is a woman. And guess what she's doing? Sharing the good news with the disciples. 
It's undoing and turning everything upside down in a culture and in a society that kept women out here as property on the edge. Jesus now goes, we're going to change some things. And he commissions Mary to go tell St. Peter, Jesus is alive. And that's our text for the day. So, with that being said, I want you to know that he loves you, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus actually wants to commune with you, that Jesus actually knows and says your name, and he is available to you. If you don't know Jesus, if you're not a Christian, today you can become a Christian by simply asking Jesus, say to him, forgive me of my sin, be my savior, walk with me. And he will believe him, believe in him, believe into him. So what we'll do now is we'll pray and then we'll uh, observe communion together as a church. Communion is the time where we remember what we just preached about, what you just heard, is that Jesus' death in our place for our sins and his triumphant resurrection has brought us into the family of God. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you, Jesus, that you are alive, that you are reigning and ruling and king of kings and Lord of lords. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we get to know you, love you, walk with you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would again send the spirit to move among your people, heal us, redeem us, Call us by our names. Help us, God, to be not just a community focused individually on our relationship with you, but authentically concerned about the well-being of one another. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel. Thank you for this time where we can observe communion together. And thank you, Jesus, that you, you've given us this great sacrament to the church. We pray this. In your name, Lord Jesus, through the Spirit, to you, God our Father. Amen.